So, John chapter 12, would you turn there in your Bibles today? It's Palm Sunday. I realized that on Friday late afternoon, I don't know why it slipped by me this year, so um, we're going to be looking at, of course, the triumphal entry of our Lord. Reminder, or it was not said, but at the Good Friday service, there is no child care. So if you want to come, bring your kids, if they're able to sit through it. It's usually a shorter service. We come together. We just uh, read some scripture concerning the crucifixion, you know, the sufferings of our Lord. And then we'll partake of communion together and then um, worship, of course. But um, it won't be a long service. So just so you know that, so you don't come thinking that there's child care for that. Well, our text begins for us today in verse 9 of chapter 12, John's Gospel. Now, a great multitude of the Jews knew that he, that's Jesus, was there. And they came not only for uh, Jesus' sake, or I'm sorry, I'm adding words. They came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. Now, before I read any further, what are the next words in your Bible? Triumphal entry. Okay. So I want you to note that. We'll come back to that in a moment. So the next words there are triumphal entry, but the verse goes on, so the text goes on, the scripture goes on, it says, the next day a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they had heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. This, of course, was a quote from Psalm 118. Then Jesus when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. And so that's obviously a quote from Zechariah 9.9. Father, we pray that you might teach us as we consider once again another year, another Palm Sunday, another opportunity to read this portion of Scripture, Lord, and to reflect upon that great event that really marked uh, the beginning of your Passion Week. And, and so, Lord, we pray that you'd give us fresh eyes, fresh perspective as we look at the text today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I, uh, I wanted to point out what was written in your Bible, Triumphal Entry, because um, if I was to give a title to my Bible studies, which I don't typically give a title to my Bible studies unless it's a a, a topical study. But if I was to give a topic, uh, a name to this particular Bible study, I might call it something like, things are not as they appear to be. And I want you to consider, because as we read the text, we have that triumphal entry, but it's important to note that nowhere in the Bible is this event called the triumphal entry. This is added by those who put our Bibles together. So that's not scripture, triumphal entry. That was just simply added. And and I I think it's worth noting that the word triumphant, it means experiencing or celebrating victory. 
or to win. So keep that in your mind as, as you're kind of reading through the text. And, and, and all of you, are, I'm sure, are very familiar with this portion of Scripture. You know, the, the uh, tr triumphal entry of Christ. Jesus makes his way into Jerusalem. I think it's worth noting that um, everything Jesus did, uh, it wasn't a random thing. You know, he didn't wake up one morning and say, I think I'll do this, I think I'll do that. Um, he ever lived to do the Father's will. In one sense, you could say with Jesus and with Jesus alone, he's the only one who ever lived that really lived each and every day to carry out the Father's will. And so I think it's safe to say that Jesus, his life, of course, it wasn't lived randomly. It, nothing he did was a mistake. In fact, I think it's worth noting, and you guys have noted it, surely, if you've studied the scriptures, that many of the things that Jesus did were foretold before Jesus ever did them. And that's important because this book that we read is not like any other book. It's a living book, the scripture tells us, and it foretells things. It tells things before they happen so that when they happen, we may know that he is God. Who? The one who inspired all of the writings of scripture, the Lord himself. For example, we know that his birth was foretold in the Old Testament by the prophets. His life and ministry was foretold. His, um, his arrest and the scattering of the disciples was foretold before it ever happened. Um, his mistreatment and rejection by the Jews was foretold. His scourging and crucifixion by the Romans was foretold. The reason he was crucified was foretold. It was foretold before it ever happened. And, um, of course, his triumphal entry was foretold. In fact, we see two examples of it being foretold in our text here. One was from Psalm 118. Psalm 118 was written about a thousand years before the incarnation. Do you understand that word incarnation? Before Christ came to the earth. When Christ came to the earth, that wasn't his beginning. That was his incarnation. So that was written about a thousand years before Jesus came to the earth. And then we saw another quote from Zechariah, Zechariah 9.9, that was written about 400 years um, before Jesus came to the earth. And then, of course, we have another, usually we look at this on, on uh, Palm Sunday, and that's Daniel chapter 9, verse 25. That was foretold, the foretelling of the um, triumphal entry of Jesus. And that was foretold 500 years so yeah, you know, 400, 500, 1,000 years, these prophets spoke these things before the event ever happened. And you know, if you're a student of the scriptures, that the triumphal entry was not our Lord's first time in Jerusalem. Because we see him in Jerusalem, when you read the gospel accounts, he would go up for the feast. But this was, this was his time and, and keeping in kind of the context of the Gospel of John, remember the theme, my hour has not yet come, my hour has not yet come, my hour has not yet come, and then finally Jesus says, my hour has come. In one sense, the triumphal entry was Jesus saying, my hour has come. Now is the time. Um, but you look at this, the triumphal entry, it's, again, experiencing or celebrating having victory to win. Does the word triumph rightly, 
speak of what we see in the text. And not just here in John's account, we have four accounts of the triumphal entry. I, between services, I was just kind of jotting down of what I would think from a man's perspective, if I had no knowledge of the scripture whatsoever, what a triumphal entry of a king would look like. And it would be the king riding upon a stallion. He would have a crown, gold crown upon his head. He'd have a shining white robe with a colorful sash. He would have a sword strapped onto his waist or, or maybe on the, the stallion on the horse itself. He would have maybe a bow in his hand, in one of his hands. He would have trumpeters before and behind. Maybe, maybe what he would do is he'd have banners across the road, the little narrow road that goes from the Mount of Olives descending into the Kidron Valley and then on up again to the Temple Mount. And, and maybe every you know, 100 feet or 150 feet, you would have a banner and it would say, the triumphal entry of Jesus. But what you see in the scriptures is, is a lot different. Um, in fact, in Luke chapter 19, Luke chapter 19, turn over there, we'll get there eventually. We see him saying, go into the village opposite you, where you, this verse 30, excuse me, where as you enter, you'll find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat, loose it, and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, uh, why are you loosening it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. And so they went and retrieved the colt. Now we know from Matthew's account that it wasn't just the colt, but it was its mother as well. And so Jesus sat upon, apparently, the colt that no one had ever sat upon. Uh, you know, you think of that. Um, when I was a, a kid, I was in Cub Scouts. Cub Scouts were before Boy Scouts. And um, we would have, it's interesting, the Cub Scouts, we didn't have um, male leaders. We had female leaders. So we had den mothers. And um, my mother was a den mother, but I couldn't be in her den because I was from her den, you know. So I had another den mother. But then we would do kind of father-son outings as well. And I remember one time um, we were living in Los Angeles. We went down to San Diego and we went camping. And part of the camping trip was we were going to go horseback riding. And so about everyone got a horse except uh, I got a donkey. And there, were, there was another guy that got a donkey. And the donkeys were stubborn. and. Uh, they said, here, they handed us a switch when we got on the donkey and said, you'll need this to keep the thing moving, you know. And um, there's something about, you know, growing up, my sister had horses, and she loved horses, and, and she would ride, and she would do different things, you know. I, I forget all the, uh, you know, when you ride around the barrels and stuff, and then she would be in parades. Uh, we lived in Poway, and Poway had its powwow days and so and it was cowboy you know you had a lot of horses back then and so she would be in the parade and everything 
But you know, you could ride a horse and look really cool. It's hard to ride a donkey and look cool because you're just kind of bouncing along. And could you imagine riding the colt of a donkey? So your feet are probably dragging on the ground, so you're going to have to hold your legs up. How long could you do that without getting tired? And then you're just kind of bouncing along, not to mention the fact, unless the Lord, because he is who he is, just brought peace upon this unbroken donkey, but I wonder if there were a few times that it tried to get the Lord off its back. There were no banners saying triumphal entry of Jesus Christ. There were no trumpeters. There was no crown. <laughs> there was no herald. There, there, was, there were disciples. There were disciples who had heard uh, first of all, there were disciples who had seen, who had been eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Lazarus. Lazarus was there because, uh, you know, the religious establishment, their hopes were, we're going to get rid of both Jesus, the resurrection and the life, and Lazarus, the resurrected. So we'll get rid of both of those guys. You know, we'll do that this week sometime. So Lazarus was there. And then as uh, they would kind of make the descent, no doubt there would have been hundreds of thousands and perhaps even millions of people because it was Passover. And so the Jews would make their pilgrimage to Jerusalem and you just have scores and scores and scores of people. And Jesus begins to make his descent and the people began to uh, pull down branches from palm trees and they begin to wave these. We look at this and many times we, we just kind of want to see things from our own, you know, biblical perspective. But from their perspective, there was history behind the palm branches. There was another time in their history where they were under the oppression of Antiochus Epiphany and the Lord had delivered them. And this is where you get Hanukkah and the, the miraculous, you know, burning of the oil for eight days and so on and so forth. And, and it was connected to the palm branches. And so as they took the palm branches, there was, there was something really significant behind all of this. It wasn't just something they thought would be cool to do to Jesus. They were hoping for something. I'll get to that in a moment. Jesus, he's making his descent you would have people, you'd have pilgrims from outside of Jerusalem and, and others, and they might say, who is he? Who is that man? Obviously, some of these folks are paying him attention. They're taking off their garments, their outer garments, they're lying them on the road so that he could ride upon their garments. What is this all about? You know. And so you would have others that would say, you don't know who he is? Well, you see the guy, you see the guy over there? Yeah, yeah, I see him. He was dead for four days. And, and see the guy on the donkey? Yeah, yeah. He rose him from the dead after four days. Wow. I mean, that would be all you'd need to hear. You know, you come for pa Passover, unleavened bread, Passover, and, and you're thinking, wow. Who has ever heard of such things? Well, Luke his account. He goes on in chapter 19. Let me see where we're going to start here. Let's start down in verse 37. 
Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, and again the quote from Psalm 118, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called out to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Whenever I say that, teacher, I always think of, you know who I think of, Pink Floyd. Anyway, um, teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he, also, but he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. So again, you have this added dimension. So, so now he's making his way. You don't see the triumph that you might see in, in, you know, from a worldly perspective perspective from you know man's perspective what triumph might look like and as he's making his way then he's called out by the religious leaders tell your disciples to shut up if I told them to shut up the stones would cry out my point is guys when you look at this I mean honestly and this is not being sacrilegious this is just being honest that when you look at the triumphal entry of Christ, it does not look triumphant. And in fact, for the, those who put our Bibles together and put these different subtitles, they're describing something from the perspective of one that understands the work and ministry of Jesus. If they were, if they were you know, kind of living this out and writing these things as they were happening in the moment, they probably would not have put a subtitle, Triumphal entry. I think that you look at the triumphal entry and, and surely for, for many of them, you know, many that were participating, it would have been a glorious and exciting day. They were, they were um, taking their palm branches. Mario was telling me between services that at the first service, um, they were making some palm branches and uh, Fiona, which if you met Fiona, you'll never forget Fiona. But Fiona, their youngest, uh, called them palm, oh, Hosanna sticks. Hosanna sticks. And she said, I want, a, I want some Hosanna sticks. So they, they got their Hosanna sticks, and they were waving th that, and they were, they were cheering, and they were, they were singing, you know, Hosanna. They were saying, save us, save us. And again, guys, you know, we look at this from kind of a perspective that we, we already know the end of the story. We know how everything plays out. But you need to understand that when they were saying Hosanna, they weren't saying, save us, we're sinners. We need to be saved from our sins. They were not saying that at all. They were saying, save us, save us from Rome. We're oppressed. Now, guys, you know, the Bible's relevant it's always relevant. I think of, I'll make some enemies now, if not those present, maybe some watching online. But you know, we look at our country, we look at our nation, we, many of us feel oppressed by our government, by decisions that are made, and we need to be very, very careful that we do not make the mistake that the Jews in Jesus' day made because the mistake they made was our biggest problem is political. 
And Jesus says, no, you don't get it. Your biggest problem is spiritual. And that's true today. We could say, oh, if, if we had the right people in the places of power, you know, we would be all better. Listen, if, if you are lost in your sins, if, if you have not been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, if you've not placed your faith in Christ, it doesn't matter if you're in a perfect political environment, you're still lost. You still need to cry out, Hosanna. You still need to be saved. So you look at all of this, and, and you know, you, you think, well, gosh, it's kind of sad. You, 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 they're asking for something. They're expecting Jesus to be kind of a political messiah. Uh, they reject him because he doesn't meet their expectations. You say, well, how do we know that they rejected him? Because John tells us that they rejected him at the very beginning of his gospel account. In John chapter 1, verse 11, he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. I suggest to you that that refers to this event right here, the triumphal entry. This was the event that he came to them. This was the event that he presented himself as their long-awaited king. This was their opportunity to receive their king, and yet they rejected their king. They did not, it's an absolute negative, they did not Receive The word receive, it means to receive near, to associate with oneself in a familiar or intimate act or relationship. And they did not. Not interested. If you can't deliver what we want, if you can't do what we want, we have no interest in you. Sadly, we live in a world that's like that today. He did not meet their expectations and we see, of course, that within a few days before the week was out, um, we would see that uh, their singing was replaced by shouting and their cheering was replaced by jeering and the waving of palm branches was replaced with the waving of fist, crucify him. I'm not saying, I'm not suggesting that all the people that were praising him were the same people that were saying crucify him, but I'm sure that it was a mixed group. On that day some you know they're so easily persuaded yeah it sounds good I might give him some time and then when things don't pan out the way you think they're going to especially when things began to go horribly horribly bad he came to his own and his own did not receive him now was Jesus surprised by this oh I don't think so how would Jesus be surprised by anything? Was Jesus mad about this? No. We see in scripture what it looks like when Jesus is mad. He makes whips and he drives out <laughs> the money changers from his father's house. Don't make my father's house a house of thieves. Was he sad? Yeah, he was sad. You're there in Luke chapter 19. Look at verse 44, or 41, excuse me. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it. He saw the city and wept over it. I want you to note that it doesn't say he, he saw, you know, he saw it and uh, he conquered it, you know. I mean, that, that's what you're thinking of. That's what I'm thinking of when I'm thinking of triumphant, a triumphant king. 
He came, he saw, he conquered. But he doesn't say that. He says he saw the city and wept over it. And this is what he said. So he's not only weeping over it, but he's speaking. Now, guys, remember that Jesus had to be speaking these things out loud for them to be known. And so I want you to picture, if, if you were there, you know, and, and, and perhaps Lazarus was very close by Jesus, and so, you know, he's just experienced this thing that no one has ever experienced before, being dead for four days and then resurrected. And then maybe the 12, because remember, Judas was still with him at that point in time. They're around him. They're kind of close by him. And as Jesus begins to weep, and remember the word weep, the Hebrew, or the Greek word that's used there, it means to wail. Do, do you know what it sounds like to wail? You know, there's been a few times in my life where I wailed. When you wail, it's not like tears slowly going down your cheek. A wail is something that seems to come from the belly, and it just kind of works its way up, and it kind of comes out as a, you know, whoa! Almost a groan or, a, you know, just a, a, a loud crying out. And he said, he said, if you had known, even you especially, in this your day, the things that make for peace. See, you guys are here, you're hoping for a, a political messiah. You think your biggest problem is the Roman occupation. Oh, that's not what brings peace. He might say, you had no peace in this land long before the Romans came. You had no peace in this land long before the Greeks came. You had no peace in this land long before the Babylonians came. He's speaking of a different kind of peace, isn't he? But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the day will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you and surround you and close you in on every side and level you, note this, and level you, and then it's like, listen to what Jesus says here, and level you, and level you and your children within you. That should stop your heart for a moment. I'm going to lay a heavy trip on you. It's, it's uh, uh, you know, Palm Sunday, but I'm telling you, parents, you are responsible for your children. Until they come of age, you are responsible. You need to set the example. You need to set the standards. You need to set the, the barriers. You need to say no. You need to say yes to the things that are good and right. It's our responsibility. And I think of the fact that when you look at this, because the parents did not know the day of their visitation, their children were going to pay for it. You say, that's not fair. It's the way it is. It is the way it is. I remember, I, I used to... I used to look for illustrations, you know. When I first started, you know, teaching the Bible on a regular basis, you know, there was kind of this format. And it's funny because when I watch other pastors teach, sometimes I think they're still doing the same format. You get up, you tell a joke. 
And then you have <laughs> then you have a three point message, and then you you know it's all these things, and then you have to write illustrations. And I remember buying all of these books on illustrations, and I remember reading this illustration, and it was just you know so troubling. And it was the illustration of a preacher. His kids came home with a stray dog. Dad, can we keep the dog? The preacher father said, yeah, you can keep the dog if no one, if, if, if no one comes looking for the dog, you can keep the dog. Someone called the preacher's house and said, I understand you guys found a black dog. I lost my black dog. I'd like to come by and see if it's him. The preacher said, because his children now are, you know, they've made this their pet. Well, can you describe the dog? Yeah, the dog has three distinct gray hairs coming out of its back end. The preacher gets off the phone, plucks off the gray hairs so that the man comes to see it. He says, well, there's no gray hairs on this dog. You must be mistaken, like you wouldn't know your own dog, gray hairs or not. But. And the illustration went on to say, that day, the preacher and his family gained a dog, but the preacher lost his kids. I thought, oh. See, it's heavy because, again, we kind of think that we could kind of live this, this life that has really no effect upon my children, but I'm telling you, it does have an effect upon our children. It really does. I, 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 I know I'm going off on a rabbit trail here, but Tracy and I had friends many, many years ago and uh, we were visiting them, and, and they said to us, um, you know, uh, the Lord has been showing us uh, something recently. And we said, well, what's that? You know, it's always good when the Lord is showing you something. They said, our, our children have these horrific nightmares. I mean, just horrible nightmares. And uh, they wake up in the middle of the night and they're screaming and it's so hard to, you know, comfort them and everything else. And we're wondering, what in the world's going on? And, and then we, we, you know, as we took it to prayer, we realized, you know, and they kind of said it bashfully because it should have been obvious to them. But they said, you know, kind of our uh, entertainment is we like to watch horror films. And we don't watch the horror films when the kids are up and we keep the volume down. We surely wouldn't expose them to this. And the Lord has shown us that what we're doing, we think we're doing in secret, is having an effect upon our children. And I, you know, that stuck with me. Again, we want to disconnect. I mean, because this is what our world teaches. What I do, what choices I make, it has none of your business. And the fact of the matter is we live in a world where people have made poor decisions that has an effect upon all of us. <laughs> all of us. Well, anyway, back to our text. It says, and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another. And this is why, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Now, guys, I want you to think about this because, again, I mentioned this last, last couple weeks that God would not hold with Nicodemus. Remember when Jesus said to Nicodemus, you're the teacher of Israel and you do not know these things? See, it would be rude if Nicodemus could not know these things. 
But he could know these things because they were in the scripture. It would be heartless and cruel if the people could not have known that this was the time of their visitation. But they should have known. Daniel chapter 9, verse 25. Daniel chapter 9, we have God's prophetic calendar. I mean, we have the exact day that Jesus was to make his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem on that day, and rather than receive him, they rejected him. Guys, this is why I always emphasize the importance of knowing the word of God. We need to be people who know the word of God because he's given us his word so that we might know these things. Jesus, Jesus was sad because he knew what was coming. Now, I want you to consider this. Um, let's go over to Isaiah 53. Boy, I better hurry up. Last time I had plenty of time. Isaiah 53. Again, triumphal. Look at verse 3. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. And we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our, what does it say? Peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Who did? The Lord did. The Lord laid on him. Look at, look at verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Who? He, was, he has put him to grieve. Who has put him to grieve? Triumphal? Things don't always appear as they are. Luke. 19, weeping. Isaiah 53, sorrow, grief, despised, not esteemed, stricken, smitten, afflicted, wounded, bruised, chastisement, stripes, oppressed, afflicted again, cut off from the land of the living, stricken again, his grave with the wicked, bruised by the Father, put to grief by the Father. Does that look triumphant? Things are not always as they appear. Well, let's get to the triumphant part, huh? <laughs> Midway down verse 10. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, his offspring. He shall prolong his days, triumphal. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand, triumphal. 
He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. Triumphal. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many. Triumphal. For he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul unto death and was not numbered, I'm sorry, and was numbered with the transgressors. He, and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressor. Triumphal. It was his triumphal entry because of what he would accomplish in that week. I hope, you know, the Bible says for those who are in Christ, we're more than conquerors. Or in other words, we're more than triumphant. Have you placed your faith in him? His suffering was foretold, but his triumph was foretold. Guys, Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You say, I know that verse. We should know that verse. But this is why there was a triumphal entry. This is why there was a crucifixion. This is why there was a resurrection. It was God demonstrating his own love toward us. There will be people who stand before the great white throne judgment of Christ. I don't know if they will say in that moment, or maybe they'll just have the perfect revelation, I blew it. But I wonder if any would say, I didn't know. And he'd come back and say, well, why didn't you know? I sent prophets. I sent messengers. I, I gave you my word. I, 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 you know, I was long-suffering. I was patient. I don't want any to perish, but all to come to repentance. I've given you opportunity, and you did not take opportunity. You deemed him unworthy of your time. You deemed him unworthy of your... Uh, <laughs> of your life. No one will be able to stand before the Lord at the great white throne judgment and say, you didn't love me. Because he proclaimed his love. You know, when Isaiah speaks about or uses the word many, and you say, why doesn't it say all? Because sadly, not all are going to come to faith in Christ. Many will but not all will. For some, in this life, and this is, you know, in this life is the only time it really counts. For some, they will bow the knee, confess with the tongue that Jesus is Lord. Now, we do that now in this life, and we have the assurance of salvation for all eternity. But at the judgment, the great right throne judgment, there will be those who will bow the knee, confess with the tongue that Jesus is Lord. But it's absolutely meaningless. It's just simply acknowledging who he is. It's appointed for a man once to die, then the judgment. There's not second chances. You know, guys, we are living on the threshold of our Lord's coming. 
So this is why this should be of interest to us. He came then, we could look, we go, oh, they dropped the ball. Oh, they didn't know the day of their visitation. They weren't paying attention. They weren't paying attention to the times, to the seasons, to all of these different things. They were, they were spiritually indifferent toward these things. And we need to be careful when we're pointing our fingers back at them because there's three fingers pointing at us saying, what about you? We're living. I mean, Jesus can come back today for his church. And, and yet, many of us live as if, no, that's a long way off, and I just can't imagine that happening. And, now, don't get me wrong. Tracy and I were talking about this a few days ago, how as Christians, you know, we're taught in the scriptures, we occupy. We don't hunker down. We don't, you know, build bunkers and that type of thing. We keep living our lives. But the person who lives their life with the expectation that Christ could come back today lives their life differently than the person who doesn't believe he could come back anytime soon. I mean, it's true. Let me me read just a few verses to you, partial verses. Revelation chapter 3, verse 11. Behold, Jesus is speaking in all of these. Revelation chapter 3, verse 11. Behold, I'm coming quickly. Revelation chapter 16, verse 15, Behold, I'm coming as a thief. Revelation 22, verse 7, Behold, I'm coming quickly. Revelation chapter 22, verse 12, Behold, I'm coming quickly. Revelation chapter 22, verse 20, Surely I am coming quickly. You know, I wonder, you know, the book of Revelation, it's the last book of the Bible. It's it. It's the book that tells us what's coming. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's, it's uh, picking up from the, the resurrection and the ascension. It's picking up, you know, the book of Acts is the acts of the apostles, or I think better it should be called the acts of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit working in and through believers, the church. But then you get to the book of Revelation. We have the revelation of Jesus Christ. We see him in heaven. We see that glory. We see that triumphal picture of Christ as we might expect. And he says, I'm coming. I'm coming. What if the Lord just says, well, you know, maybe people will read my Bible like they read other books. Usually, you know, you read a book from beginning to end. Maybe they'll read it that way. And by the time they get to the end of the book, this will be drilled into their head because I'm going to repeat it over and over and over again. I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming. Now you might protest and say, wait a minute, it says he's coming quickly. He mentions that, what, four times? And then he's coming as a thief the other time? It hasn't been that quick. It's been 2,000 years. Remember what Peter said? with the Lord a day is as a thousand years so in one sense we say the Lord might say I've only been gone for two days man what's this what are you sweating about you know but do you know that the word quickly it not only speaks of soon but it speaks of by surprise or suddenly when he comes I didn't expect you His coming should not take us by surprise. In fact, guys, you look at the world that we're living in, and you live in the same world I live in. 
I mean, we see upheaval everywhere. I think I mentioned last week, maybe it was on a Wednesday night, but you know, last week the rhetoric was Israel is no more. The nation no longer exists. Civil war in Israel, it's done. And I told the folks on Wednesday night, it's not done because it needs to be here during the tribulation. It needs to be here to fulfill the promises given to Israel. It's not done. But, but you look at things and we're seeing things that are coming undone, you know. And, and, if, and if we're paying attention to what the scriptures teach, we look at, you know, this push. I mean, we've heard this for, for a decade or more where leaders of the world have said, if there was one man that would lead us, we would all give up our authority. Well, the Bible talks about a time coming when one man will lead the world. It's not Jesus Christ, but it's the Antichrist. We see this push toward this, um, you know, this collapse of our economy, which has an effect upon the entire world. You guys probably heard last week that China and Brazil now are, are doing all of their transactions, not with American money. They used to use American money, US money. Now they're, they're using another means of currency because the American dollar, of course, is diminishing like crazy. We're going to this um, digital currency. You say, yeah, what's up with that? Read Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13, there's gonna be, a, there's gonna be control upon what you buy and sell. No one will be able to buy and sell without the mark of the beast. How do you do that? How do you enforce that on people? Well, you take their currency and you make it of no value whatsoever, and any transactions need to be done digitally, or once you get to the tribulation, mark or mark, you see what I'm saying? We're watching all of these things happening. And it's like the Lord is saying to us, maybe church, the time of your, not visitation, but the time of your departure is at hand. Are you paying attention, church? Maybe he would say to us, listen, I'm long suffering. I don't want any to perish. I want all to come to repentance, but church, I, I want you to go out and, and carry out the Great Commission. It's not finished yet. Share the gospel with those who are lost. Does that seem overwhelming to you? Sometimes it seems overwhelming to me. But you know a good place to start is your own family. If you have loved ones in your own family, you know, extended family, share the gospel with them. Pray for them. Engage them in conversation. Don't be offended because they don't want to talk to you. Or when you show up at their door, they go, oh, brother. I remember when I became a Christian, man, it was like the switch was flipped on and burning bright. And, and I, all my friends, I contacted all my friends and I told them they needed to be born again. And then the very next visit that Tracy and I had, we went down to San Diego, that's where I grew up, that's where Tracy and I met. And um, we go down there and we're visiting some of my friends. And I remember we went to one of my friend's house, we're knocking at the door, and you could hear him like rustling inside the house. So he's putting away things that, because he peeked out and said, oh man, it's 
Danny and Tracy, you know, what are they doing down here, you know? And so, and, he, and his, his girlfriend comes out, and, and you could tell they just got up, you know? And, and, and it was so funny. I mean, it was like, you know, it was like, it was like Jesus showed up at their house. You know, oh yeah, you know, it was a late night last night, so she just spent the night. I'm thinking, you don't have to explain to me what you're doing. I mean, they were living together. But it's like people got really freaked out. Don't be offended when people do that. They're going to be freaked out, especially if they knew you before you became a Christian. Because they don't know what to expect. But we're not called to judge people. We're called to share the gospel with people. And the Lord and his word and the spirit judges the heart, right? And brings us to conviction and says, man, I don't want to live that way anymore. So, Jesus is coming. Are you ready? Marielle, Daniel, come on up, please. Would you stand with me? Father, we pray that as we enter this Passion Week, Lord, that we would take time, that we'd make time to read in our gospel accounts not only the triumphal entry, but the things that transpired on that week, that we might reflect upon the fact that on Wednesday was a a day of silence. I mean, prophetically or biblically speaking, it seems that nothing really happened on that day. And then they picked up again on Thursday, of course, Friday. And then Saturday would have been quiet as you're in the tomb. And then Sunday, early in the morning, the resurrection. And we pray, Father, that as Christians, because we're really the only ones that would appreciate these things, and we just take time to read through those scriptures and reflect upon those scriptures. And if we have children in the home, Lord, that we would take the time to read the scripture and to talk to our children about these things, Lord. Would you help us as parents or grandparents, Lord, to make the scriptures real? We pray that they would become real to us, that it would really shape our life, the way we live, the way we conduct ourselves, how we do business, how we, <laughs> how we deal with lost dogs, or whatever it might be, Lord, that we'd be men and women of integrity. Help us, Lord, to be the light that you've called us to be. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.